everybody. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. I am Pastor Chris. It is great uh, to see you today. I hope you're excited and uh, ready for Christmas and ready for Christmas Eve. And hope you've been enjoying all of the, uh, the miracles of Christmas uh, all around us over the last uh, several weeks. Um, we got some great news, some good news of great joy. Uh, we have uh, gotten the final approval uh, for our plans and our building for the new building on our facility, our building on our property. <laughs> Woo! So um, been a been a long, arduous process, and uh, we have learned a lot, and uh, we're excited that uh, hopefully now, in, not hopefully, but yes, in 2015, uh, we will begin... Uh, construction of our new building. And uh, don't forget that, that that's what our Christmas Eve offering, by the way, is all going toward. Uh, it's our all-in campaign, our new building uh, this, uh, this Christmas Eve. Uh, hey, raise your hand if you or your family, if you send out Christmas cards. Anybody here, your Christmas cards? You know, it really is kind of a dwindling uh, art, isn't it? You know, writing, <laughs> sending out cards. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the Rollins family, we're hypocrites, okay? I love getting Christmas cards, but we don't send them anymore. So, And I realized that we would probably get more Christmas cards if we what? Send them out. But we don't do that. But, uh, but I actually do love getting Christmas cards. I love, uh, I love those of you who do the whole... Um, a family picture Christmas card. You, you got the, some of you do those, right? You know, you get everybody together. And you maybe go out on the beach or somewhere in a Christmas scene, or and you try to get the kids to smile. Please, you know, that one perfect shot, and then that becomes uh, the Christmas card. How many of you? Uh, are, and I, I love these too. Put pets. We get some of you send out your your pets on the the front of your Christmas card. I think that's really sweet. Just not the cats; those are evil. But um, have, should have nothing to do with Christmas. Um, but uh, probably the thing that uh, universally, I don't know that anybody really likes, um, and, and if, if you do this, hey, it's okay, but let's be honest. How many of you can't stand the people who send out those Christmas what? Wow, right, okay, right, the, the Christmas letters, where basically it gives those of you an opportunity to say, hey, my life is awesome and your life sucks. So, um, you know, uh, so some of you do that. I, I, I like, all of it's good. We don't do any of it, but we actually have a little uh, a door in our house where uh, you know, it has window panes. We put up the Christmas cards that we get. I actually read uh, this past week, get this, that Americans will send out over $2 billion Two billion Christmas cards. Uh, Hallmark alone has more than 2,700 Christmas card designs. All kinds of Christmas cards. One of my favorite uh, Christmas card stories is about this lady uh, who's kind of in the rush of Christmas, you know, running around trying to take care of those last-minute things, uh, goes out and buys a box of Christmas cards. So she gets home, and she doesn't read the Christmas card. She just very hurriedly, you know, signs, addresses, seals, and, and mails almost all of them. Now, the next day, she remembered a couple of other people that still needed to get a Christmas card from her. So she takes out the box of Christmas cards. But this time, uh, you know, as she's signing them and, and addressing them, she decides to actually read the message on the inside of the card. And this is what it said. This is just a little note to say that a little gift is on its way. So um, anyway, so full of surprises, you know, Christmas. That, that would be pretty, pretty surprising. Um, I think the Christmas story itself, 
uh, is, is full of surprises. And, and what I hope that over the last several weeks that we've been making our way through the Christmas story, that you've seen uh, those surprises well. You've heard the sounds of Christmas. So let's review just for a moment. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the birth of Jesus itself and how it was full of surprises. The, the town of Bethlehem was a surprise. The, you know, the, the time in which Jesus was born, even the way in which Jesus was born, in fact, that it was just so ordinary. Remember, the Bible says, and the t- time came for Mary to give birth, and she did. And all of that demonstrates that God usually does very dramatic things in undramatic ways. That's what we talked about. How sometimes though we miss it because we're not paying attention. We're not alert. Uh, Then last Sunday, uh, we talked about the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, how none of us would have ever chosen, you know, young teenage peasants to be the guardian of the Messiah. You know, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But this demonstrates that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things if they'll just be obedient. And uh, we talked about the, uh, the faith of Mary and Joseph and their trust and their obedience. Now, it's my guess that uh, most of you here in this room are somewhat familiar with the Christmas story. Uh, you know uh, the Christmas story. And yet, my guess is sometimes we still miss the message. I I think we see that all the time, all around us. We get very familiar with something. We're familiar with the facts, familiar with the story, but then we miss the meaning. We miss the message. Now, my hope is that during this series, and not just during the series, but each and every Sunday here at Coastal, the Holy Spirit would enable all of us to, and even those of us who are familiar with the facts, Even those of you who are familiar with the story, you would hear the message new today. You would walk out of here with something that you could hold on to, something that you could think about tomorrow and and this coming week, and so that the Holy Spirit would give you an open mind and a receptive heart and listening ears. So let's talk about the shepherds today, the the witnesses of this event. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, again, most of you uh, know the story. You're familiar with the facts. You're familiar with the story. You've seen the pageant. You've seen the Christmas play. You know, angels appearing to shepherds on the hillside announcing the birth of Jesus. This is usually one of the more dramatic parts of the, of the story if you've seen it uh, played out. But I don't want you to miss something here. Because, you know, just like everything else in the story, everything else that we've talked about so far, I think this particularly this, was very, very intentional by God. You know, why? Why did God choose shepherds? Why didn't God choose royalty to be the very first to hear about the birth of Jesus? Why shepherds? Now, some of you might easily say, well, you know, Pastor Chris, maybe it's because, you know, the angels come down to make the announcement, and uh, the shepherds, they were the only ones out in the open, They were the only ones that were awake that night. So, in other words, they were the only ones that were available. And so they they chose shepherds. 
And yet the Bible says that Jesus was crucified from the creation of the world. In other words, God had in mind this rescue mission from the moment he created man. And so every detail has significance. And I think, I think this detail has significance. Let's talk about that. I think, first of all, um, it's a symbol of the purpose of Jesus. The Bible talks a lot about uh, lambs, and it said that uh, Jesus came into the world to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And so here we have those who are looking after lambs are the first to look at the Lamb of God. Now, most of the, she of the sheep that were raised in that day were not raised for meat. They weren't raised for wool, for clothing. They were raised for what? Guess what they were raised for? Sacrifice. They were born to die for sacrifice. Remember the Old Testament had commanded the Jewish people to regularly bring in an animal sacrifice to the temple and have it killed. And then the blood was sprinkled on the altar and it was to serve as a symbol of the forgiveness of sin, the need for sacrifice, the need for atonement. And so there were literally thousands of sheep slaughtered every year in the temple. But the Bible also talked about how ultimately this wasn't good enough. That the blood of animals, uh, goats and bulls would never be enough. It wouldn't be sufficient. They weren't perfect. They couldn't, make, they couldn't pay the penalty for everybody's sin. And so it was really just a foreshadowing. It was just a picture of the coming of the Messiah who is going to be born to take away all of their sin. So when the Lamb of God was born, I think it was a beautiful symbol of his birth to be announced to shepherds who were taking care of lambs to be sacrificed. Secondly, I think the announcement to the shepherds is a symbol of Jesus' acceptance of all people. Now, I'm probably going to blow your mind here in a little bit about your traditional view or idea of shepherds. Because, you know, going back to Christmas cards, if you get a Christmas card of a shepherd, shepherd on the front, you know, I mean, think about the verse. It says these, these guys were living in the fields, you know, what, taking care of sheep. Um, we have this really nice, pristine view of these shepherds, you know, having these kind of long, flowing, pretty robes and, you know, a shepherd's staff kind of, you know, watching over their fields at night. Unfortunately, that is not a good picture of a shepherd in Jesus' day. Now, early in the Bible, uh, there was a time in which shepherds, uh, shepherding was considered a, a somewhat noble profession. However, in the first century uh, to which Jesus was born, the shepherds were basically the lowest of the low. They were the lowest class of people. I mean, they came in just above or beneath lepers, okay? Living out in the fields with animals was not a pleasant thing. It made them ceremonially unclean, and it made them you know, practically unclean. Shepherds in the New Testament. These, these were people basically who couldn't get a job doing anything else. Okay? Last resort. You can't do anything to support yourself. Be a shepherd. Okay? Uh, you know, and maybe sometimes the people who, got, who became shepherds in that day physically were lacking a little bit. Sometimes even mentally lacking. Uh, or maybe they were just too lazy. 
Uh, they, they were almost always single men. They couldn't hook up with a woman to save their life because they stunk, okay? And they were, they were low. Uh, they, they took care of sheep. They began to look like sheep, smell like sheep. They were a dirty group of people. If you were out at a party, you know, you would never admit that anybody in your family was a shepherd because immediately you would be looked down upon. So I want you to get this picture. And yet the Bible says it was to them, not royalty, not CEOs, not Caesar, not Pilate, not Herod, did the message first come. But to these low-life shepherds. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said this, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. In other words, God chose the lowliest of all the professions, and, and people, uh, uh, as these are the ones to whom he would reveal the initial word about the birth of the Savior. When nobody, nobody else would ever want to associate with them, God's angels appeared to them saying, Unto you, shepherds, is born this day a Savior. In other words, unto the lowest, God gave his highest Unto the neglected of his day, God shows attention. To the poor, he gives his riches. I think there's a message there for us today. I think there's a message for our church. I think there's a message for us that the gospel, the good news, the church, we are to be for all people. Not just those that we size up and think, are worthy, the poor, the despised, the uneducated, the put upon, the neglected. They should all feel welcome when they come into our presence. We should feel welcome with them. You know, in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul once said this. He said, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond? How do you react? How do you feel when you come into contact today with modern-day shepherds? How do you respond? How should you react or respond when you come into contact with people today in our community, in our culture, in our world who feel less than, who feel neglected, who feel like they're not accepted, like they're not wanted? And in your mind right now, maybe just you know, make a mental list of who those people are in our community today. Speaking of rich and poor, James said this as far as showing favoritism. He said, it says, James chapter 2, my brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as Christians, as the church, he says, don't show favoritism. 
Suppose somebody comes into your meeting and they're wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and then a poor man comes in wearing shabby clothes. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and you say to him, hey, come over here, here's a great seat for you. But to the poor man, you say, hey, you sit over there, you sit in the back, you sit at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Coastal? We're not to show favoritism to anybody. I mean, when... When shepherds come to coastal, we got to make it evident that no matter what you come here with, no matter what your baggage is, no matter where you've been or what you've done or how you feel about yourself, you are welcome here. There is room at the manger. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Now, speaking of rich and poor, though, let me add a little footnote here. You know, obviously those who have are not to snub those who don't have, but those who don't have shouldn't be intimidated by those who have either. You know, sometimes people who are not as well off financially sometimes make unfair generalizations about people who do have money. By the way, politicians are experts at that, manipulating that during an election year. We call that class what? Class envy. It goes like this. Well, you know, like we want money, but we don't want anybody else to have it, and we don't want anybody to tell us how they ought to spend it. Now, just because somebody has money doesn't necessarily mean that they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. You know what it might mean? They worked harder than you, okay? Sometimes, and get, get this, even if they were born into wealth, so what? You say, well, but people who got money, they're snobbish, they're arrogant, they're selfish. You know what I've discovered? That people with very little can be the same way too. Got very little to do with your bank account. You can be a giver or you can be a taker. It's got nothing to do with how much money you have. The point is, guess what? In the church... It ought to be different. We we should never treat somebody differently because of what they have or what they don't have, because of how they look, because of how they appear, because of what they've done, because of where they've been. There's room at the manger. There's room at the cross. You know, the shepherds were the first to hear, but apparently uh, the next announcement came to the wise men who brought what? Gold, frankincense, myrrh, the people with money. Rich and poor were welcome in the kingdom of God. You don't read that the shepherds said, hey, we better get out of here. The people with the gold are coming. Let's hurry up. Come on, let's exit to the left, you know. Now, what did the angel say to the shepherds? What did the angel say? Look at verses 10 through 12. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The first thing they say is, don't be what? Don't be afraid. Let me ask you a question. What happens when somebody tells you, hey, the first thing they say in the conversation is, now, don't worry, 
and don't be afraid. What happens? You are afraid and you are worrying now, right? I mean, if your parents, your teenage son or daughter calls you in the middle of the night, the first thing out of their mouth is, hey, mom, don't be afraid. Don't worry. I mean, that doesn't work, does it? You freak out. Well, and then they, the, the angel says, I bring you good news. Now, that's a little crazy, too, because sudden news is almost always bad news. I mean, you get a phone call again in the middle of the night. When is that ever good news? It's not typically good news. A television show is never interrupted for good news. We interrupt this broadcast. I mean, what's going to happen? What's coming next? I mean, it's not good. The angels interrupted the shepherds. They surprised them. They freaked them out. But they surprised them, the Bible says, with good news of what? Two words. Great joy. Great joy. Let me, let me make a little side note here. Great joy. You know, guys, I think when we come together, when we gather together, there ought to be a sense of great joy. I think that ought to permeate our, our gathering. I think personally, and this is, again, this is my own personal preference, uh, but I think it ought to permeate our, our style of worship. I think there ought to be great joy when we gather. I think there ought to be great joy when we sing, when we share. I, I, I would prefer that our services be a little bit more like a, uh, you know, a pep rally than a funeral, okay? I just think that. I think we have something to celebrate. I think we have something to, to have, we have great, we have good news. We have great joy. Parents, you know, Thursday morning, Christmas morning, when your children open up that special gift that you spent so much time in getting and, and, and planning and preparing, how do you want them to react? Thanks, Mom. That's awesome. Yep, that's great. What do we eat? What's next? I mean, seriously. I mean, you'd be disappointed. You want to see great what? Joy. Let me ask you, have you ever been to a church where there's no joy? I mean, where, where people look like they've been baptized in vinegar, and they're walking around all scrunchy and nasty, you know, and, and then, you know, li literally it's like, Jesus, we just want to praise you, you know. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, you know. I appreciate it. You know, no! I think, I think when we come together, joy ought to permeate this place. And then it says, that will be to all people. And again, talk about a stunner. Talk, talk about crazy talk. I mean, the, the Jewish people were programmed to believe that they were the only ones. That God, you know, they were, they were God's only chosen people. The Gentiles in their mind were just pagans, hated by God. And here the angel says that they, they've got good news for all people, not just rich, but the poor, not just the Jew, but the Gentile, not just white, but black, not just, you know, young, but old, not just Clemson, but even Carolina are all welcome in the kingdom of God. He says, you know, it's for everyone, all people. And then get this. He says, today in Bethlehem is born a what? A, a savior, a savior. If, if, if there is something, you know, 
there's, there's hardly anything more relevant than this right here today, than this message. Today in Bethlehem is born a Savior. Let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but every single day when I watch the news, read the news, hear something, it is getting worse and worse and worse. Our world is spiraling out of control. And instead of, you know, instead of the church rising up and being the church, you know, we, we see people, you know, promoting and, 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 and getting involved in all kinds of other things and all kinds of other things they think is the answer. Listen, the answer is not more information, more knowledge, more, more money, more laws, more cleaner environment, a different political party. The answer is Jesus. The answer is a Savior. What in the world, you know, God forbid, why in the world are young adults turning to a dead religion and, and shooting police officers? Why are people, you know, looting and destroying their own? And I know everybody's got an opinion and everybody's got a reason and, and I know hurt people hurt people. Listen, the answer is sin. Today is born a savior. A what? A savior. Why? Because we are sinners and the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. The church needs to rise up and be the church and stop complaining about the world in which we live and say, you know what? Maybe God put us right here, right now, 2015 in Charleston in the United States of America for such a time as this because people need Jesus. They, they are hopeless and we have hope. They are without peace and we have peace. And his name is Jesus. Today is born a what? A savior. Now, as soon as the angels left, the shepherds did some things that I think you would expect them to do, but there's one thing that I think is a little surprising. One thing you'd expect them to do is that they examined the evidence carefully. They went and checked it out. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They acted on what they knew. They acted on the message that had been given. Let me tell you something. Some of you have been given a message week in, week out, year after year after year, week after week after week, and it's time for you to act on it. It's time for you to, to, to check it out, to investigate the facts. Listen, go check out all the other world religions and check out Christianity because ours is the only one in which the leader of our movement rose from the dead and he is alive. And it was witnessed by hundreds of people. It was recorded in human history. There, there's more data backing up the resurrection of Jesus than, than Shakespeare. He is alive. He is risen from the dead, and he is alive. It turned the world upside down. People gave their life for it. We, we mark our calendar today because of, you know, B.C., A.D. and B.C., after the death of Jesus, before the death of Jesus. It turned the world upside down. Go check it out. Investigate it. 
The, the word come is used for over 1,400 times in the Bible. Psalm 66, 5, come and see what God has done, how awesome his works are. Think about that. God has invited you to come. Look at Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty. Listen, those of you who are searching, who are needing, who are looking to find that answer in your soul, he says, come, come to the waters. You who have no money, you come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost, because it doesn't cost you anything. You can't pay for it. Why spend money? Why are you wasting money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? He says, listen, listen to me. Eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give me, give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may really live. Jesus said, come. If you're weary and, and, you're, and you're burdened, he'll, he'll really give you rest. And Jesus also said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive them away. The point I'm making is this. I don't know where you're at spiritually, but I do know this. There is a point in which you will never really know until you go. And it's time for some of you to come. To come home. The second thing they did, and you kind of would expect this as well, is they shared their discovery. They shared their discovery. Verses 17 and 18. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. The shepherds were just so excited about what happened, they just automatically shared it. By the way, that's natural. That's normal. I mean, when you experience something exciting, you know, the next step is just to talk about it. Whether it's a you know, sporting event or it's good news or, you know, think about at Christmas. When you were growing up, when you finally got that present, that thing, that bike, that doll, that gaming system that you always wanted, you, you sat on Santa's lap and, and gave, you know, gave him your list and you got it. Well, when you opened it up, the very first thing you wanted to do, sure, was to play it or to use it. But then you wanted to share that with somebody else. You wanted to tell somebody else. That's what evangelism is. That's all it is. It's just people telling other people what they've seen, what they've experienced. And some of you, you know what? You've experienced a lot in this life. You've experienced life change. You know, you could easily tell people, you know what, man? I've been going to this church, and you know what? It has changed my life. It's turned my, my life upside down. My marriage is better. My, my family is better. I've got peace. I've got better relationships. I'm in community. I'm growing. Now, there's one thing the shepherds did, though, that seems a little strange at first. And it's found in verse 20. It says, the shepherds, what? What's the next word? What? Say it out loud. They returned. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. Number three, they returned. Now think about that for a second. They returned where? Well, they returned back home, back to their sheep, back to staying up all night, back to their routine. Now, that kind of surprises me a little bit because you kind of think after this, hey, woo, they've seen angels, they went to Bethlehem, they saw exactly what they had been told. You know, man, they're going to, you know, get rid of their sheep, you know, they're going to clean up, they're going to become missionaries full time. No, they went back. 
They went back to what they were doing. So here's the lesson that I want you to remember today. And I know hopefully you've gotten several, but here's one that I want you to want to, want to stay with you. God's best witnesses are usually just common people with a testimony, not paid professionals with an argument. God's best witnesses are usually common people with a testimony, not paid professionals with an argument. Most evangelism is just one person telling another person what they've seen and heard, what they've experienced. Listen, God doesn't need more people to leave their job and to leave their you know, community and to leave what they know, to leave their routine and go off to a foreign mission, uh, mission field somewhere. Does God need that? Sure, he needs some of that. But you know what God really needs? He needs for more followers of Jesus to go to their school, to go to their neighborhood, to go to their child's ball team, and to live like a follower of Jesus, and to love people, and to point them to Christ, to invite them to a place where they're going to hear about Jesus, where they could be a friend to somebody, and just share what they've experienced, to share what they've seen and heard. You know what? Most people today are very skeptical of people like me. Most people are. In fact, in most people's minds, I am just a notch above or below a used car salesman. Okay, that's what they think of pastors and preachers. Some rightfully so. You know, sometimes it's, so, it's so bad that, you know, like if, I, if I'm at a party or I'm in a gathering of people, especially men, usually one of the first questions when you're meeting somebody is, what, what's the question? What do you do? So inevitably it comes out. And I hate it when it comes out because I'll say, you know, if, if I were to tell people, well, I'm, a, I'm the right reverend Pastor Chris down at Coastal Community Church where I preach to sinners like you every Sunday. And, you know, and I mean, what, it doesn't really matter what I say. I could say that because that's what they think I'm saying as soon as I say I'm a pastor or I'm at Coastal or whatever. I mean, like, whoop, the wall goes up. And they don't share, they don't talk, they're afraid that I'm going to send lightning bolts or something, or they're going to hell, or I, I don't know. I mean, it's just nothing. I mean, I'm to the point now where I tell people stuff like, hey, I'm a life coach, or I'm a, you know, I'll come up with, uh, I don't know, I'll come up with something. I lie, basically. But, um, uh, but, I mean, seriously, you know, but people know you. They don't feel that way about you. You are the satisfied customer. You know, you're going to go buy, let's talk about used car. You're going to go buy a used car? Well, who, who do you want to hear from most when you're, who do you depend on? Who will you rely on the most if you're going to buy a used car? The, uh, the paid professional, the used car salesman, or the satisfied customer? Obviously the satisfied customer. That's what you are. I love the story in the ninth chapter of John where Jesus has healed this guy who his entire life had been blind, born blind, blind his whole life, and uh, the Pharisees are ticked off. They basically corral this guy, and they start hammering him with all kinds of questions, mostly theological questions. Hey, what do you think about Jesus? Is he a prophet? What do you think about his theology? And, and by the way, See, that's how some of you think. Some of you think, man, I could never be a witness. I could never be an evangelist because people are going to ask me questions, and I don't know the answer. I don't know all the answers. Well, basically, this man says, hey, I don't know the answers to your questions. I, I, I'm not sure who he was and what he's all about, but I do know this. I once was blind, but now I, I see. Don't you see? That's your story. That's our story. You know, God's best witnesses are just followers of Jesus whose lives have been changed 
and they, they lack a little bit of shame, and they can't help but talk about what they've seen and experienced, and they've not isolated themselves yet from people who aren't followers of Jesus. They still love people and care about people. They don't judge people, and they don't mind you know, mixing it up with people who don't follow Jesus. The sad thing is, for most Christians, for most followers of Jesus, the longer you're in the church, the less likely you even know anybody who's lost. And that's got to change. Listen, we are missionaries. We are on a mission. You know, evangelism is just the natural result of talking about something that's happened in your life. God's best witnesses are common people with a testimony, not paid professionals with an argument. And just like shepherds, just like these shepherds, God needs some people who've seen and experienced something and then who go back, who return and share it at their school, in their neighborhood, where they work, where they live, where they do life. Listen, why don't you allow Jesus to be your Savior and Lord today? You know, God is waiting to give you the greatest gift of all. The gift of forgiveness. He's the only one that can do that. He wants to fill you. You know, not only does he save you, he doesn't save you and then leave you alone. He actually takes up residency in your life. That's what that means when I say the filling of the Holy Spirit. He comes to reside inside of your life and give you the power and the strength to do what he's called you to do. And then, why not share that with other people? You know, let's stop pointing fingers Let's stop. Let's stop pretending like the answer is found anywhere or in anything other than a savior named Jesus. Allow him to come into your life and then coastal, let's share that with the world around us. And if you've not received that gift today, the gift that only God can give, what are you waiting on? He is your hope. He is your peace. It's the greatest gift you will ever receive, and you can have it today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you that, um, thank you for the great rescue mission that you sent your son Jesus on. Father, there there is no doubt, um, I see and hear and read about all that there is out there in this world today like everyone else. And it's, it's difficult. It's sad. It's, uh, it's terrible. And yet, God, we have hope. We have the answer. Um, his name is Jesus. Help the church. Help Coastal, God. Help us to be the church you've called us to be. Help us to reach out to shepherds, people who feel less than, who feel neglected, who feel the injustice of this world waited upon them. God, you tell us in your word that Jesus had come to me, those who are heavy laden, 
who are burdened. God, there are, there are people around us. There are minorities. There are, there are groups of people who feel put upon. And yet you say that you can lift that, that burden off their shoulders. You can ultimately, you are the only one who gives real justice. And the truth is, Father, ultimately that's not what we need. What we all need is grace. What we need is love and truth. And it's found in Christ. He is the only true hope. And Father, I, I pray that, um, uh, that all people would be welcome here. I pray that those who are who struggle with uh, alcoholism, drugs, uh, pills, people who've been, uh, relationships have been shattered. God, I pray that uh, the young adult who's struggling with homosexuality, all, God, they would feel welcome here at Coastal. God, help us to stop hurting and, and hating on one another, but help us to to point people to Christ. He is the only one who can change lives. And so help us to lift him up high and clear today. And if you're ready to come home, as the Bible says, just come. Come and see. Come home. You will not be driven away. No matter who you are or what you've done, just say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. I believe. I put my trust today in Jesus and in him alone. I recognize that he came. This, this rescue mission on, on Christmas morning was so that ultimately, ultimately he could be sacrificed for my sin. And I recognize that today. I believe it. I believe he went to the cross on my behalf. I believe he was laid in a tomb. And I also believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And because he overcame death and sin and hell one day because of my trust in him I will too but not just not just later not just in the hereafter but here and now I can have purpose and meaning and hope and forgiveness and a clear conscience thank you thank you father for all those gifts thank you for forgiving me thank you for making me brand new and for the rest of my days God I just want to follow you. Share that with your loving Father today. And find, find a family here at Coastal. Father, we love you. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.